attributes of God as we've been doing the last several several months, really. But we talked about several of them. Remember, just last week, we talked about God's immutability. He does not change. God never changes. He's always the same. And we're very thankful for that because then we, you know, that helps assure us from that that all his promises are still yes and amen. You know, and before that one, we talked, uh, it was actually delivered during, during the sermon, but I thought it was so vitally important, right, his overarching attribute, right, that he's holy. Both aspects of that, holy as in the main aspect, he is far and above all the created order, you know, full of his ultimate majesty and glory, you know, the personification of glory and majesty that we cannot fully comprehend, but he is so much far above us in all excellencies. Right. But it kind of, it goes right into this because I want, want you to keep both those things in mind when we talk about this attribute. It says God is love. His attribute, the love of God. And the first thing that I want to talk about this, I realize right away that this is not something that I can give a, a decent treatment to in one session. Because... I believe the love of God has been very perverted in the teaching, in, in the churches, and among, in, among the world. So I want us to take a look at Scripture in one. I want us, you know, through Scripture, that God would open up our eyes and help us see what does Scripture say about the love of God. What does scripture not say, say the love of God is not? You know, the love of God is not a worldly kind of love. It is not a creaturely kind of love. Now, if, first and foremost, we know that you don't have to turn there, but First John 4, 8, very familiar to us, right? God is love. Now, the opposite can't be true. It's not God is love, love is God, right? God is love. And in that meaning, what John is saying, it must be like hyperbole or, or speak. Like it so much identifies him and is part of his character, right? He's the foundation, the fountainhead of love, a true love. But I want us to turn there because I want us to start because we see the love that's talked about and so much that the world thinks of that now if anyone saw the Super Bowl ad, he gets us. So blasphemous, but to portraying the love of God is something that totally is not. But we'll see that love of God is not something that's natural. It's not something that we can experience naturally. But if you go to 1 John chapter 4, I want us to read and I want us to see that we get a little indication here that this, you know, where they, we get that saying, right, that the truth, God is love, but we got to read it in context. <clears throat> Starting in verse chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved. Now, he's speaking, right, to his people, his adopted children, right? Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. 
Okay, the one thing, right, that's thrown out there, and, and a lot of stuff about love, that it says about the love of God in the Bible is misinterpreted by many and misunderstood because, you know, the way they yank it out and just say, well, God is love, right? God, God is love, and that means some syrupy kind of thing. It's some emotional kind of thing, like, you know, it's just, uh, you'll never offend anybody, you know? I just picture on this, like, you know, God just sitting back weeping, you know, for everybody in the world just hoping that they, you know, uh, you know, start being good or whatever it is, right? But I want you to understand and see that it's not an ordinary love because, first of all, he's talking of a, the love of God because it says here, he that loveth not, okay, wait, uh, up above in verse 7, right? Everyone that loveth is born of God and knows God. So this worldly kind of love presented to us right now and in many churches and, and depicted in the Super Bowl ad, if anyone who saw it knows what I'm talking about, does everyone that has any love them in the world born of God? <laughs> well, no, right? This type of love, this God is love, this love they're talking about here is only is only experienced and comes upon the children of God, the beloved, those that know God. And we know God because he first knew us. Amen? The Bible is very clear about that. Right? We only come to him once he comes to us. He opens our eyes, softens our heart, reveals his son to us, right? Pours his grace upon us, right? We're saved. We're born from above. You know, we're given his spirit, right? That's the love of God he's talking about. So we know it's different than worldly kind of love. It has nothing to do with uh, touchy-feeling sort of things or not offending people, right? There's something special about this. And then in verse 9, in this was manifested the love of God toward us because God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Right? Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And he's talking about this love of God, right? And just like he set his love upon us. But this type of love is only, it's reserved for the children of God. Only the children of God experience it. And it's from God himself, right, who is love. Now, I wanted to say that to say, right, there, obviously we see that, right, it's not the love typically thought of when we think of love or anything that's in the world or something the world considers love, because if it is, then it's a love, then anyone who has any kind of love is born of God. I wanted to see that, right, that's an important distinction. The love, when it says God is love, the love they're talking about is a love not experienced by the world. It's not experienced by the lost, right? And God does not look upon the lost with the same love. He does not put the same love upon him. Does anyone have any questions or observations? Mike.
Yep. Yeah. Amen. You know, I was, we need to understand, you know, like, you know, they love throwing that out there. And yes, God is a God of love. And God loves with a perfect love. But that perfect love, all those verses they're using when they're talking about the love of God is directed toward his beloved who are loved in Christ that he set his love upon before the foundation of the world. And I think we need to make we need to make that distinction. We need to have a proper balance of it. And you know, and don't go wrong. We're just gonna you know, let's you know. I pray right that the Lord open up our eyes right and let Scripture interpret Scripture. And we need to have a proper balance because you can't go to just one Scripture and find out okay exactly what is the love of God and what is the love that we're supposed to have toward one another and what is the love that we're this love that we're supposed to show. The lost and and to the wicked. Now I'm just talking we just need to understand a few things. There are a lot of scenes out there that are very fanciful, and in a lot of churches you'll find them too. I want to clear a couple of those up. One is God's love is unconditional. That's a truth. It's also not a truth. It depends on who you're talking to. To those of us that are saved, that he set his love upon, it's unconditional. It's nothing in and of ourselves. He chose to reveal himself to us. He chose to set his love upon us. Does he love all people in all the world, all the time, unconditionally? Ask yourself, where in the Bible does it say that? Can't find it. I'd be interested to know if someone's got a script. It's not. It's just a, a phrase that was developed. But sometimes, right, it'd be the truth talking to it. You hear it in church, right? Love is unconditional. And yes, if I'm talking to the way, yeah, he loved us. He set his love upon us, right? He opened our eyes. He revealed his son to us, right? By his grace, he saved us. And talking to the beloved, to believers, even to the lost sheep, yes, that's true. But... We're going to look at a few things. Another one that goes right with that. God hates the sin but loves the sinner. And that's what I want to get into because I'm, by that, by dispelling those things, it'll help start to give us a proper perspective of the love of God. And I bring this also because a lot of the errors going out there and what has diluted the gospel so much is this perversion of the love of God. This perversion of the love of God which basically, just think about it. You're talking to a person just lost in sin. 
And you notice in the gospel message, they never, they never start off saying, God loves you unconditionally. He has a great plan for your life. Just walk across the Jesus bridge. You know, say yes to Jesus. Give him a try. If I tell a lost person, God loves you unconditionally, has a great plan for your life, the first thing they're going to think of is that God just loves me how I am. So it doesn't matter what I do. The Bible just never says he loves unconditionally. What does he say? The one thing we know, right? It, it's, a, it's, a work, it's a work of his in us, in his people, or we won't have the love of God in us. He gives it to us. You know, right? But if you don't believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, it shows that you are still an enemy of God. You do not have the love of God in you. You know, but anyway, let's just take a look at it. God hates the sin but loves the sinner. First of all, I want us to take a good look at that. First of all, I want to go to a very uh, familiar passage of Scripture, especially us in the, you know, re Reformed churches, but go to Romans chapter 9. And again, right, we want to look at this thing, right, that I think it really fuels this misunderstanding of the love of God and what it is, right? We cannot divorce, and, and Dean mentioned it too, Dean and Mike, well, right, you cannot divorce God's attribute of love from all his other attributes, right? It's a holy love, right? It's separate, right? It's not creaturely. And it's pure and free from all sin. You know, we got to understand that when it's talking about the love of God. You know, I, I just I can't say that enough on that. It, it's very different. It's very different than this love that presented there. But let's look at that. Uh, first of all, in Romans chapter 9 and verse 13. Now, you know, this is true. We use this a lot. If you go to this and it, it talks a lot, and it's talking here specifically getting to the point of, you know, God has mercy and will he have mercy? He hardens whom he hardens. We use a lot when talking about predestination, and it talks about it's God's will. God alone saves. But sometimes there's more than one truth in a scripture passage. That, that is true. Well, let's look. That, that equates to everything. Here's a big truth. Romans 9, 13. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but a sow have I hated. Now here, when you look at a lot of commentaries, and when you, when I've even seen people, you can even go on YouTube, and you can watch sermons, and they'll use this, and people will say, well, you see what he's saying here is, right, he loved Jacob more than a sow. He loved a sow less. And so when you search that word out in the Greek, it actually has two meanings. It has its primary meaning, it has a secondary meaning. Now, it primarily means hate, despise, right? Loathe. Or it can mean love less. But Scripture interprets Scripture. What does it mean here? Now, if you went to Luke, and you recall, or you don't have to turn there, but if you recall, well, let's go to Luke 14 real quick. And we'll see an example of where it does mean to love less. In Luke 14... Verse 26, if any man come to me 
and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Right? And hate. Now you look up that word. Now, we do know that con connotation. He's not saying you got to hate your mother and father, right? But you must love me more than you love them, right? And we must love God more than we love the world. But in Romans 9, that's not the same thing. And how do we know? How do we know? Well, we know because he says, as it is written. What does that mean? When, when we ever see in the scripture, in the New Testament, it says, as it is written, what is he referring to there? He's referring directly to a place in the Old Testament where it is written. This was written. So, let us go to Malachi chapter 1. All right, last book in the Old Testament. And... During the Malachi chapter 1, starting in verse 1, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. Right? There's a burden upon his heart. Verse 2, I have loved you, saith the Lord. Yet you say, where hast thou loved us? Right? <laughs> Boy, there's a, big, there's a big message there, right? But they couldn't even, they didn't even understand the love of God for him and that. They didn't think he did. Was not a sow Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I love Jacob, verse 3, and I hated a sow. Now, you look up that word in Hebrew, and in Hebrew, that word, you pronounce it sane, and, it's sim and here's what it means, and it's only meanings, to hate, personally. An enemy, a foe, odious. By the way, odious, right? Extremely, extremely reprehensible, extremely unpleasant, extremely repulsive. Utterly, you know, those are the words, utterly, all those things. Just utterly, utterly hate it. You know, to, you know, get the personification. I just hate, hate this, right? Well, let's see. Let's just comply that. That's the only word it means in Hebrew. That, those, those are what it says. You look at the concordance, that's all that it says. Sane, that's what it means. Well, let's look. Okay, further. So we got the concordance. Did they somehow get that wrong? Well, let's look at this means love less. Let's see. So in verse 3, starting in, you know, at, after he said, and I hated a sow. Okay, let's see if, if this makes sense. And I loved a sow less. And I laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dregs of the wilderness. Right? And then they try to come back and build them back up. He says in the middle of verse 4, Thus saith the Lord of the hosts, they shall build, but I will throw down. They shall call them the border of wickedness, and the people against the Lord hath indignation forever. That doesn't sound like he loves them a little less, does it? It, it doesn't, right? He laid... Asal's heritage waste. He hated Asal. He set his love upon Jacob. He set his love upon the children of promise. Right? But we want to look at the other place. Well, okay, that, that's, that's one verse there. Let's go to Psalms chapter 5. I'm just trying to, you know, to spell a myth, and this is something you, you don't hear <laughs> in a lot of churches, right? Because that's been around for Several generations now, right? God hates the sin, but loves the sinner. 
Well, you see, they're apparently hated a sow and all a sow's heritage laid them waste. I want to throw out a few other practical observations. Did he love, did he just love them a little less, right? All the people on the earth besides Noah and his family? Was that just a little less love when he destroyed them all? Was it just a little less love to all the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah and all the towns and areas around them when, when except, for, right, except for Lot and his two daughters, he destroyed them all? And then we're told in the New Testament they're left for an example forever for those that would live ungodly. Does that mean he loved them less? Does he just love them with the same love he has for his own beloved, right? When he, when he throws them into the lake of fire, which is the truth, does that mean he loved them less? He changed his character for a moment in order to throw them in the lake of fire. He's going to be eternally sorrowful. Well, no, those, those are all not truths, but they're all things you have to say yes to if you believe that he loves the sinner. He loves all sinners the same as he loves all brethren. He just loves equally on the line because God is love. Right? And then the distortion of the way they look at it. Psalm verse 5, starting in verse 4. For thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness, neither shall evil dwell with thee. Verse 5. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight, Thou loves less all workers of iniquity. What does it say? It's Bible studies. Burn it out. Hateth. Guess what that word is? Oh, sane. The Hebrew word sane, same one. Odious. It's unpleasant to him. He didn't say, I hate the sins that they do. What does he say? I hate all workers of iniquity. That's the people. Got to understand. You know, we need to we need to have proper perspective. I'm not saying hey, we all go out there and we grab clouds and we beat all the wicked over that, right? That's not, that's not the grace of God. But we need to have a proper perspective of this gross perversion of the love of God, so we don't get caught up on it, like some brethren recently have, and it's shown where it's led them that they somehow justify ungodliness in order to so-called minister unto the lost, that you would, you would counsel someone to commit wickedness in order to counsel to the lost because of their great love for them? You can just see how it's distorted things, and it's a lie straight from the enemy. It's just a gross perversion among the true, among the true gospel. But that's verse in verse 6. Right? After thou hatest all works of iniquity, thou shalt destroy them that speak leasing. The Lord will abhor. Right? Hate. Right? I mean, abhor. He'll hate. He's filled with disgust. He's disgusted with them. He abhors them. Will abhor the bloody and deceitful man. What is that? Just some? He just said the workers of iniquity. Work of iniquity. Okay, uh, well, you found that one somewhere else. Well, let's go to Hosea. Yeah, I just want to see that this isn't something that, uh, you know, uh, you know, Howard's making up in his head. And I really pray, right, that, 
right? We let scripture speak for scripture, but I think we have to, you know, get this to have a good balance and help set ourselves just in case we have started to buy in and not, and, you know, maybe don't quite understand and differentiate, right, what the love of God is and his common grace, right? They're not the same thing. Uh, what did I say? Hosea, Hosea chapter 9. We'll start in verse, well, let's start in verse, verse 10, right? So we know who he's talking to here. I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your fathers as the, as the first ripe in the fig tree at her first time. But they went to Baal Peor and separated themselves under that shame, and their abominations were according as they loved. All right, Israel's sinning. As for Ephraim, their glory shall fly away like a bird from the birth and from the womb and from the conception. Though they bring up their children, yet will I bereave them, that there shall not be a man left. Yea, woe also to them when I depart from them. Ephraim, as I saw Tyrus, is planted in a pleasant place, but Ephraim shall bring forth his children to the murderer. Give them, O Lord, what, what wilt thou give? Give them a miscarrying womb and dry breast. Verse 15. All their wickedness is in Gagal, for there I hated them. For the wickedness of their doings, I'll drive them out of mine house. I will love them no more. All their princes are revolted, are revolters. That word hated there. And he's talking to his own people. Now keep in mind, now we already know this when we've talked about it before, right? All the people of Israel we're not, we're not God's chosen people, right? We're, we're, we're clearly shown that in Scripture, and clearly in Romans 11, he spells it out there, right? They're not all Israel who call themselves of Israel, right? We've seen in verse 9 too. But he's talking those that take, their, take his name, right? They were blood, is blood Hebrews, right? But he sees, says there, because of their gross abominations, because of their gross hypocrisy, their gross wickedness and sin, what does he tell him in 13? I hated them. You look up that word. Guess what Hebrew word it is? Sane again. With only the meanings of hating and personally enemy, foe, odious, utterly hate, utterly find odious. I, I ask you, does that sound like he just loves them less? Or that does it sound like hate, disgust? It's disgust. It's hate. One other place. Go to Proverbs chapter 6. And Mike, if those who are here, it's been a long time, but I remember when I first uh, came here and that one of the first Bible studies I sat in, Mike gave a good treatment to Proverbs chapter 6 here. But this is really interesting. Proverbs chapter 6. Verse 16, these six things doth the Lord hate. And yes, that is the same Hebrew word as in all other places. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, <laughs> a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, 
feet that be swift and running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. Okay. Let me ask you something. When it says he hates the sin but loves the sinner. Okay. Now, maybe you could say that about, you know, he hates a proud look, but is the proud look eventually going to go hell, going to go to hell, and then be raised up just to be thrown in the lake of fire for all eternity? Is that proud look going to do that? Or is it the person who has that proud look? Does he actually hate the look? How can you hate an inanimate thing? Okay. A lying tongue. What? I hate that tongue. I'm going to curse that tongue. I'm going to destroy that tongue. But I love that person. I just love them with an undying, unconditional love. That's what they're leading us to believe, that God just loves all people the same way all the time. It's unconditional, affectionate, pouring agape love that he shows and pours out upon his people. He has the same for that for the whole world. A heart that devises wicked imaginations, right, and the heart devises it, right, and the mind thinks it out, right, but so does he hate the heart, or is it the person that has that heart, right? I mean, we saw before he hates all workers of iniquity, you know, and he hated a sow's line because of what a sow did in his line, Okay. Feet that be swift and running to mischief, feet aren't going to be judged. Someone's feet aren't going to be judged. The person that those feet are connected to will be judged. But a false witness that speaketh lies. Ooh. Now we got one that they surely can't say. You know, it's just the thing, right? Well, he hates the pride, right? He hates the lie. You could distort that, but you can't distort this one. A false witness that speaketh lies. Now I get specific. No, the person speaking lies he hates. Yeah, there's no way to get around that one. You can't twist that one. You just got to skip it, right? Because he already said he hates a lying tongue. Yeah, he hates lying. But now in verse 19, he hates that false witness that speaketh lies. So that's a person. And he that sold the scourge among brethren. A second time. Personal. Person. No way of getting around it. So again, according to the word of God, does God just love people a little less? Or, like his word says, does he hate all workers of iniquity. Until he pours his grace upon us and pours that agape love upon, because of his agape love, right, and pours his grace upon us and opens up our eyes and reveals his son to us, right, then we know nothing of his love. But, right, those that he has that love for, that he set that love upon, are his chosen people. They are his beloved. He will save them. He has promised to save every one of them. So if that same agape love is the same for everyone, it would have to mean everyone's going to be saved. 
Right? If we believe the first premise, then eventually if we think about it, we're saying yes to every underlying thing about it. And that would be the truth. Right? If God's love is the same for everybody, right, for everybody, then in the end, everybody's saved because he's promised to save all those that he set his love upon, which is another thing it means when he says in Romans, you know, in the golden chain of redemption, those that he foreknew, right, he predestined, right, he foreknew them in love. I want us to take another look at it. another thing, too. Uh, too. Let's just go real quick because I want to mention this. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Verse 6, chapter 7, verse 6 of Deuteronomy. For thou art a holy people in the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself, above all people that are upon the face of the earth. Well, so here we see in the Old Testament where he chose one people group. I don't know why people have such a hard time believing that it's the same today. He chose all in Christ. <coughs> Verse 7, the Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because you are more in number than any people, for you were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto the fathers, hath the Lord bought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondage <clears throat> from the hand of Pharaoh, king of, e king of Egypt. Want us to look right there in the Old Testament, right? He set his love upon them. He's telling them, not because you're the most numerous, not because of that, but because he chose. He definitely chose to set his love upon them. And just like us, if we go, go to Ephesians. This, is, this isn't definitely use the word, but we can see this kind of love. And I just like doing this, but just as we see he chose, he chose Israel. Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And we can compare that even with First John. That's what he's talking about, in the love of God, right? That we would be perfected in love, but the love of God. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. In the beloved, and there, right, he's talking about Jesus Christ. 
just as he's loved Jesus Christ before the foundation of the world. He's set, he's chosen, and set that same love upon his beloved. We are now beloved. We are in the beloved, in Christ. You know, we talked about this before, but it's a deep thing to imagine. As he loved Christ, he loves us. But that when it says he loves unconditionally, that's those that he chose to set his love upon. It's different. We see that when he's talking about he hates all workers of iniquity. That's true. It doesn't say he hates the sins they committed. We know he does. Right? But the sins aren't committed unless there's a person committing them. You know, I mean, lies aren't running around over here. Boy, I hope one doesn't jump on me. You know? I mean, right? We, we, you know, we sin, but it's, it's, it's completely different. But uh, go to John 17, three, 17 and in verse 23. So important during, you know, we like saying this here and point out if people have never heard it before or just recently come here. You know, commonly uh, where Jesus teaches us how to pray and I remember that when I was growing up, we hear that's the Lord's Prayer. No, it's not. John 17 is the Lord's Prayer. Here, here, he is praying for us, for his people, right? Right? John, uh, you know, uh, the, as, as what's called the Lord's Prayer, just the Lord teaching us how to pray to the Father. This is Jesus praying for to the Father for us. But, Oh, yeah, John 17, I was looking at 16, and that's why that was wrong. Okay, and as he's praying, right? Now, I want you to look. First of all, just go up really quick to uh, verse 20, right? Neither pray I for these alone, you know, for his disciples that were right there listening to him, right? But for them also which shall believe on me through their word. So all of us here, and I pray we all are, are sincerely believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and are saved, right, and in his love right now. Okay? All of us. Drop down to 23. I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. The Father does not look at all workers of iniquity and has set them in the same love, have the same love for them as he has for his Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, to say that, you know, and that is why, you know, when it's saying, well, you know, you don't want to like, uh, it means if you love someone, you'll never hurt their feelings, or you'll never offend them. How do you, how do you tell them that God, God is at enmity with them. And at the same time, you're saying that he loves you unconditionally? I mean, if you hear those words, you're thinking, well, no harm's going to come to me. It's just such a distortion of the gospel, and it's that kind of distortion why these people think they can just boldly get away with those kind of ads and, and saying these things out there why the church is so diluted, the gospel is so diluted, there's so much false profession going on and a lot of weak Christian testimony. You know, in false Christian testimony, you know, and a lot of it started, and I'll mention it one, one more time here, but when somebody says that, you know, that it's so important to keep relationships with, 
you know, with the lost open, right? And what is that going? Tugging on our heartstrings, right? Emotional. Because, you know, God loves them. That, that's the premise, because God loves them so much. So, you know, I can advise somebody to go and just sit in the seat of the scorner, scornful, walk in the way of sinners, because, hey, God loves them. God loves them as he loves you. No, he doesn't. We are to, we are to minister to the lost. We are to care for the lost. We can pray for the lost. But we need to get a proper balance and understand that. That Remember, he just says David prayed in Psalms. We weren't turned there. He said, you know, I love thy law, right? Therefore, I hate every false way. You also put upon every lie, right? Every wicked way. I hate evil. I hate evil. I hate sin as you hate sin. I believe that one of the, one of the reasons that the church today, and I'm talking about the true church, doesn't hate sin like it ought is because it also somehow doesn't understand what the love of God really is. And I just wanted to set this foundation in that world of time, but to start thinking of that, first of all, that balance, right? God, right, we cannot divorce God's love from all his other attributes. Because that's why this same, this same world right now does not believe or understand or know anything about a God of wrath, justice, holiness, righteousness, purity. Right? Because, hey, it's like Psalms 50. You think I'm like one of you. That's the way the world sees God. Just maybe a little better than we are. Or some kind of pathetic old man sitting on a rocking chair, just having open arms, just wanting every single person to come to him, irregardless. It's just not true. Just not true. He is above all things, first and foremost, holy, holy, holy. And we need to keep that in mind when we're thinking love of God because that's why I started on First uh, John chapter 4 there. Remember that love of God he's talking about, right? Only is experienced. Only the children of God have it. Only the children of God can experience it and start to walk in it. And only the children of God can show that. But we're told to sh first and foremost show that to the brethren. But secondly, right, not telling people. Remember this, the gospel, you can never find it anywhere in the book of Acts. Right? Where they presented it, God loves you unconditionally. Right? God's okay with your sin. You find the gospel being the same as it always was. Right? You are an enemy of God, right? You're under his wrath because of your sin. You're separated from God. But he has sent his son, and his son lived a perfect life in perfect righteousness and laid down that perfect righteous life and was dead and buried and rose again on the third day because he was the God-man. He was also fully God, right? And all who believe in him are forgiven their sins Right, justified before God, and are that from that moment for forevermore at peace and with God forever. Amen.
but that the love of God is those that he set upon and chose upon chose from the foundation of the world. That love of God is that agapeo love that encompasses everything. It's a will and volitional love, but it's also one of great affection and loving kindness. But a lot of the verses, that love, right, is toward his people. What's presented as, and we'll talk about that, as common grace, the goodness of God is presented and misunderstood by many to be the love of God. It's, it's completely different. It's completely different. Any last questions or comments? Mike. Yeah. Yeah, and we're and we're going to get into that. That's what I'm saying, right? You can't just treat this in one day, and you can't go over it in that. But I wanted to lay down and break up some myths, right? And understanding, you know, that God still, you know, has perfect hatred towards sin too. Right, and it's perfect, and it's right, because God is always right and just. Amen, Dean. Yeah. Yeah, because last thing, right, you make that great point. And there's to piggyback upon that kind of the same thing, right? It, it's not that, right, that, you know, why doesn't God love everyone the same? Why does God love any of his people? Because apart from his grace, we are just rebellious. Right, he even says that, Romans, right? Haters of God, haters of good, right? Selfish. Right? It's the grace of God that changes us. Right? We're not worthy of anything ourselves. But we'll get into more of this, but just want to lay that kind of kind of get that beginning down there and just so right, we're gonna look into that. There's a great difference, and now I want us to just look upon what is the love of God? Why what is the love he set upon us? Now that is, you know, the covenant. Remember, but it's always by grace. It always comes down to he chooses to set his love upon whomsoever he wills, right? So let us close with a word of prayer. 
Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your great love that you've shown us, your people, through your Son. And Father, help us, help us to you know come in and open up your Word to us as we look at that, and help and help us to interpret Scripture with other Scripture. Help us to come to a a proper good understanding of your love, what it is, your love for us, the love we're to have for one another, you know, the the love we are to show and have for others. Father, all under the glory of your great grace. And may you May you just help us, Lord, in, in to walk with you, and and that our lives, everything we say, think, and do, would bring glory to your name and be pleasing in your sight, Lord. And Lord, now we pray for the upcoming service, Lord. We pray be with the be with the preacher, Lord, as he preaches your word and according to the promise in your word that that word that goes forth will produce, will affect the person that hears it just in the way you mean it to, you mean it to be so, under the glory of your great power and grace. In Jesus' name, amen.